0: And welcome to episode 32 of Fitness Unfiltered. I'm Jocelyn Thompson Rule, and today I speak with performance nutritionist Sinead Roberts. Now, this is the second time that Sinead has come on the show. She was here for episode 11, uh, and today we discuss the triad of health, performance, and body composition. And we also go into that very attractive subject of intermittent fasting. So, uh, Um, I know you'll enjoy this one I love so much um, that Sinead just really really keeps things uh, simple straightforward Uh, nutrition is one of those things that can be incredibly complex um, and for a lot of people it doesn't need to be but we we make it that way so um, I really enjoyed speaking with her I think you will really enjoy the show as ever if you do please leave me a review on iTunes and see you next time Sinead, welcome back. This is the second time you have been on Fitness Unfiltered.
1: That's very exciting. Hello, thank you for having me back.
0: (laughs) You're so welcome. So if people didn't get to listen to all of the knowledge bombs that you provided the first time round, please introduce yourself and let them know who you are.
1: Sure. So I'm Sinead. I am a sports performance nutritionist so I help people from, you know, people who just generally like fitness through to your more professional athletes um, use nutrition to support performance in life and in their sport. So we're looking, you know, the kind of things, what you're eating, how much you're eating, when you're eating it and that kind of thing and making sure it's practical and enjoyable where possible. So mm-hmm. yeah, so I've been doing that with my company Fee Fuel Perform for a About two and a half, three years now. Before that, I had been in research in metabolism, took a detour into the corporate world, and then came back to do sports nutrition specifically.
0: Amazing. And I remember you talking about that because I guess... When we recorded the previous episode, I was just actually looking when that was. It was episode 11. So let me just scooch back there on my phone. So that was in August of 2018. So that was over two years ago. God, that's crazy.
1: So yeah, so when we recorded that, I'd done, I think the business was about six months old and I had been doing it full time. So I quit my other job for about three months. Yeah. That was right at the very beginning. Gosh.
0: Yeah, it was the very beginning. And now, before we pressed record, we were just talking about, oh, you're working with this person. Oh, amazing, you're working with that person. Just how small this whole fitness world is. So... And I'm not at all surprised that so many people, so many amazing people um, and amazing athletes are working with you. So on our previous podcast, which was podcast 11, for those of you who haven't listened to Sinead before, um, we talked about macronutrients, micronutrients, hydration, and the supplements that were backed by scientific evidence. But today you have some new topics for us, Sinead. Do you want to introduce what we're going to talk about today?
1: Yes. So kind of building on that really. So that looked obviously, well, particularly on the diet side of things, the kind of things you need to, well, survive and be at your best. And this one is probably more not existential, but it's looking at that the the triad of of health, performance and body composition. And you know, can we have it all? What might the limitations be? Who can have it all? Are there some people who can, some people who can't, all that kind of thing. And then also kind of linked to that actually could talk a little bit about intermittent fasting because that's definitely something that comes in waves in terms of popularity and there's still an awful lot we don't know and that doesn't make sense so it's probably worth talking a little bit about that so people if they are considering it at least know pretty much what we don't know um, to be honest is the yeah. big big picture there
0: yeah no brilliant brilliant sounds good i'm ready the notes are ready to be taken in my new moleskin. <laughs> nice as well listening it with this podcast I love it oh, yes, yes. <laughs> okay so let's start with the first one
1: yeah so health performance and body composition I think you can obviously look at this from various angles oh, well there are kind of three angles you might look at your diet from and look at life from I suppose and there's the question of can you have all three of them and I think that well the answer really is it depends from a body composition what your goals are and then i think more broadly particularly for the health and performance it depends um if you are active and athletic what your sport is and also how competitive you are in that sport because there always has to be trade offs so for example you're always looking to optimize health because in the long run because health is the underlying basis for performance i mean that's the first role of any nutritionist really because whether you are you know joe blogs who's pretty sedentary or you're an elite athlete if you are unhealthy, you are not going to be living your best life. You know, you're not going to be optimizing your performance, whether that's at work or, or in your sport either, because, you know, you might be missing work days or training days, or when you do show up to work or training, you're not able to give your best or then recover afterwards. So at some point in time, something's going to go wrong. So health is the first principle. But then you've got to overlay performance and body composition on that. Now, obviously, we're not saying you want to completely destroy your health for either of these things, but there is always going to be a trade off. And it's the same with training, right? Like, for most of us who are not elite athletes, training is likely to improve our health and, you know, life in general. But sometimes mm. when you're really at the elite athlete level, you're kind of destroying your body to a degree. Yeah, Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. And it's similar with diet as well. And so I think the easiest one to probably think about is first is body composition, because There are body compositions that may be beneficial for your sport or for your particular aesthetic desire that actually do compromise your health, whether that be in the short or long term. You know, ultimately, if you are someone who's relative, say you're a bodybuilder and you are getting into real lean competition phase, being in that much of a diet and that severe a diet for an extended period of time, there are going to be health compromises in there in the short term, that's not to say you're going to be really unhealthy long term, but you've got to be mindful of that so that then after, you know, say your competition is over, you are then focusing on the health side of things so that overall, you know, balance. And that's obviously a very specific example. But I think that even in normal life, we forget that sometimes, uh, you know, people are chasing being that couple of kilos lighter or, or this or that. And actually, we think about that not in the context of our whole life, <laughs> Mm. Particularly, you know chronic dieting and things like that being chronically low in calories and low in in the energy availability like our bodies are remarkable in that they're very robust you know we can feed it rubbish for a long time and we still survive but mm. we're not Optimising what we can be, and potentially we can compromise health there as well. If you are sort of have what we call low energy availability, which is you eat your calories after you've expended whatever you do on exercise in the day, it's basically low energy availability is when you basically don't have enough left to do everything your body needs to do, like maintain your immune system and you know have proper hormonal profile and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously, long term, the consequences of that are things like reduced bone density and and osteoporosis younger than you might otherwise have had it or have it when you wouldn't have had it otherwise it's important to keep in mind that balance between the two
0: and this is this is pretty common right like you see it a lot don't you where and you know and who knows how long it's going to take to you know for people to understand that you know exercising loads and not eating enough is a disaster yeah like and it's it's so ingrained and it's so painful. You know, so many people I'm like, yeah, so I want you to train less and I want you to eat more. And yeah. they're like, wait, what? Yeah. What? No, that's not right. And yeah, it's just there. It's just in people's minds that that's what you do. And it couldn't be more
1: wrong. Yeah, it's completely the flip because people, I think as well, everyone's like, but I need to train really hard. I need to train really, really hard because I want to get fitter and I want to get this, that and the other. And so the flip side of that is the training isn't what gets you faster and stronger it's the recovery afterwards the training gives you the push but you've got to have the right nutrition
0: yeah
1: and you've got to be able to recover from that stress i.e not be exercising for 12 hours a day every day you know obviously that's a bit extreme but you know you're yeah three sessions a day yeah. when is your body going to get fitter and faster and stronger
0: <laughs> yeah anyone who mildly knows me is going to be like, oh, Justin's loving this right now because <laughs> that's all I ever go on about like, you've got to recover.
1: <laughs> yes, I absolutely so agree on that one. <laughs> but What I always say to people as well is you have a choice. You can do more exercise or you can get fitter sometimes, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's you've got, it's your choice.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's so good. That's so good. Because I bet you they're like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: if a couple of my clients listen to this, they'll be like, oh, God, she's on in one again. Um, there I'm she gonna... goes.
0: <laughs> they're like, those two are like two peas <laughs> yeah. in the bloody pod.
1: <laughs> but it's so true, right? Like, our body, you know, if we're putting our bodies through, like from a food perspective, if you're putting your body through the mill in training, you need to give your body the fuel to do that and then to recover effectively. And I think particularly when, I mean, even that, and like now, which I think is great, you know, that is becoming more popular and more common for people to aspire for, you know, a more muscular look or, you know, and a more athletic look, which is obviously great for long term health. But mm. I think there's still that gap between, OK, well, maybe this is the if we're looking just from a pure aesthetic, like this is the aesthetic I'm desiring. And it's like we need to eat, you know, yes. that is a healthy aesthetic. Healthy aesthetic requires fuel. And I think we still haven't quite married up that view sort of in popular culture quite so well.
0: Mm. I think people also get a bit lost as well don't they because they I remember somebody asking me years ago is food a pleasure for you or is food do you see food as fuel or no they didn't even ask me that they asked me something around food and they went oh right yes yeah, so for you food is fuel isn't it and people want to box that into you know either one or the other And this idea that if it's fuel, heaven forbid that it's enjoyable. Like heaven forbid forbid that you get pleasure from actually eating. Now I absolutely love food, but I absolutely love how I feel when I eat in a certain way and when I eat certain foods. So to me, it's a... It's a combination of both, but just this again, this kind of toxic diet culture of well, it's either fuel and so therefore tastes like cardboard and is completely flavorless, or it's <laughs> indulgent and it's it can't be it can't be in between or whatever. So um, yeah, just yeah. reminded me of that. Anyway, sorry, go on.
1: No, and it's so true. It really can be in between, and also I think there's again, it's sort of similar to that all or nothing mindset where people are like, well, you know, I want to achieve this performance or I want to achieve this body composition therefore you know this is the optimal to diet to get there so therefore I must follow it and mm. I think you've got to take a step back you're like well okay that might technically be the optimal diet to get there but does it fit in with your lifestyle do you need to get there that quickly Uh, you know does your livelihood or happiness depend on it you know if you're an elite athlete yeah you probably should just knuckle down and do and and Mm. do, do whatever you need nutrition wise to optimize your performance but for the rest of us we've probably got more flexibility in there and then it's about finding the balance between what you enjoy what's good for your health and what supports the goals you're working towards
0: yeah yeah absolutely
1: yeah, but funny, I did a bit of an Instagram series on this recently, which was, yeah, just looking at those different elements of kind of like, well, what are your non-negotiables? What are you, mm. you know, where are your compromises? Where are your trade-offs? What are you trying to get towards?
0: Mm. I think that compromise piece is so important because there is a compromise. And as you say, you know, for professional athletes, they're absolutely compromising every element of their life primarily, but also their bodies, Yeah, you know, to go down that route. I mean, it was only... um. It was last week, actually, that I recorded an episode with Rachel Smith, and she's a pelvic floor specialist. And, you know, she's really, really working hard to promote pelvic health within the strong woman powerlifting community, a strong women and powerlifting communities, because it's just, you know, this whole thing is completely ignored around pelvic health or leaking when you lift and all that, all that kind of stuff. It's not completely ignored, but it's either taboo or it's just something that people are just kind of wave to the side. And one of my questions to her was, because she's working a lot with competitive lifters, are they going to stop what they're doing, start from the beginning, build and build back up? Or are they just going to keep pushing and ignore that? And that's what you're dealing with. Often when you're dealing with athletes, you know, they want to get to where they're going. And often that will be paused if there's an injury, and they have to rebuild there. But there are always compromises, which in some ways they're willing to accept.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's, you've It's about understanding what those are as well, because ultimately you're going to have a better understanding of of expectations and timescales and, you know, be more comfortable in the decisions you're making because you understand your priorities as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Can you talk about, you know, what some of those compromises look like? Because, again, I think that, you know, somebody who and I loved was you saying, you know, you know, why do you need to get there? You know, unless you're a competitive athlete, why do you need to get there in a certain time? Like, what's the rush? What's the, and I think that often when people have this like surge of motivation, like, yeah, I'm going to go and do it and I'm going to do this and I'm, I'm all in on all in and that lasts for about two days, you know, right. and then, and then they're like, oh shit, do I have to keep going with this? I've lost my motivation. Funny that, yeah. <laughs> and so, but actually understanding that, Yeah, there is no rush with it um, at all. And they kind of realize that once they start it. But I think also what they don't always get is that compromise piece. Because when you start off and you're full of motivation and gung-ho, you're like, yeah, I'm going to get it. And then reality sets in. And maybe reality isn't so attractive. (laughs) And, you know, so can we talk a little bit more about, you know, the compromise? Again, I know that it's more relevant to those that are competitive, but I think it's really important for everybody, you know, to understand that.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think what I will say is, so it comes back to that triad of health, body composition and performance, but then also adding in a fourth one of lifestyle.
0: So lifestyle
1: and preferences. So Essentially, it lifestyle starts. With like, and uh, pardon, sorry. Uh, like you said, lifestyle and something oh, else, and preferences. So, like, preferences, yeah, cool. How okay. you like to eat and stuff. So, it starts like right back when you're goal setting, because, for example, you might think, okay, great, I want to lose three kilos of fat mass, gain two kilos of muscle mass. And I've been lifting for about five years, so I'm not a new lifter. So that ultimately makes that part a little bit harder anyway. And I also want to PR every single one of my lifts in the next three months. (laughs) Um, Okay. (laughs) um, Well, you're probably going to have to make a compromise here because you're a relatively advanced lifter, which means that you don't have that joy of newbie gains where you just lift a weight and pop on muscle or, you know, lose fat quite easily. Like you're probably already training Mm -hmm. as much as you can do and expending as many calories as you can do in a day. So, you know, that loss of overall weight is going to have to come from being on a diet in a calorie deficit. But you're also looking to build strength. But again, you don't have the advantage of being a new lifter where you can gain strength quite easily. It's more of a hard slog. So, Those two have to make a compromise somewhere. Because also then you have to then ask yourself, well, okay, well, say even if that was theoretically possible, what's my life like? Am I stressed? Can I get a good Mm -hmm. amount of sleep every night? And can I eat Mm -hmm. in a way that's exactly designed to do that? And as soon as any Mm -hmm. one of those is compromised, then if you have a goal that is really stretching in optimal conditions, it's just going to become impossible. A goal has to be stretching within the limits of what you can do because if you're trying to do that, plus you work 12 hours a day and you've got three kids and you're having your kitchen rebuilt and you probably get about three hours sleep a night, no chance because it all depends on on nutrition. Obviously, I'm going into wider elements than just nutrition, but it all plays into each other as well. So yeah, you first need to be and then again, it, it comes down to, okay, so say you've got your goal and you think it probably is achievable. You're then thinking about the timescales and, and like we said, okay, so again, just because it's the easiest one, because it's one most people relate to, I'll say it in terms of losing weight, but say you want to lose three kilos and you think, okay, well, I want to do that in four weeks. You've got to think. OK, well, that's really aggressive for most people. If they don't have a significant amount to lose, that's quite an aggressive, that's a, a very aggressive loss. So mm. you think, OK, well, what's my life like in the next four weeks? Again, am I going to be stressed? Am I going to be working long hours? Can I, will I actually have access to food that's going to get me to that point in time? By that, I mean the types of calories and also the, you know, protein and enough vegetables to keep me full and that sort of thing so Mm. and if you think okay well no actually you know what it's my birthday next weekend I got a wedding the weekend after and I really like a glass of wine on a Friday night it's okay Mm. okay well why don't you do it in eight weeks instead yeah so again it's it's just making all those trade-offs and I think the more you are honest with yourself and realistic at the start the less likely you are to get two weeks in and go oh this is too hard I'm not doing it yeah And even if you're not someone who, who, you know, if you're like, I can't even think to plan, it's like, okay, we'll make one change at a time. Because if you make one change at a time, you're more likely to embed it as habit. Whereas if you try and change 20 things, your brain, poor brain, Mm. is going to go, no chance, I've got enough on. (laughs) It's like, come on. And you're less likely to achieve any of it, in which case you won't get any progress at all anyway. (laughs) Yeah.
0: No, that makes so much sense. I love that. And so when you say that to people let's say you've got whoever, Mr. or Mrs. or whatever stress head, and they come to you with that aggressive goal. How well do they receive that suggestion of, well, based around all of that, I think that you can achieve this goal, but it's going to take this amount of time. How is that received by them in general?
1: It depends on the person, but generally quite well. But I think I'm probably biased in that the people I speak to are... I probably only start conversations going down a nutrition coaching route with someone who I think is coachable. (laughs) Yeah. So I definitely have like a skewed population of people that I chat to because, yeah, and I will say if I think someone's, I'm probably not the right person for someone to work with in that case. But people are generally quite receptive because I think it's often people have these aggressive goals. Yes, they want to achieve them, but they haven't necessarily always thought through the implications of it. And then when you sort of have that discussion around it, people are generally really kind of receptive and go, oh, actually, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good point. And many people Mm. have had experiences of potentially failing with it in the past and they kind of go, that is a really good point. That's probably why it didn't work last time.
0: Yeah, Um, yeah.
1: So yeah, so that's always quite cool when someone sort of has that realisation and they're like, oh, okay, okay, a different approach might work. We'll do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm open to that. Yeah. cool, cool. <laughs> and it kind of reminds me as well of when, you know, say if you're programming for someone online or whatever, doing a training programme and they'll have missed, let's say you've programmed four sessions for them or five sessions or whatever, and they will have done, you know, let's say you've done four sessions and they will have done, three of them or, or two and a half or three of them and then they they suggest that they'll make up that the missed sessions the following week and it's always like no 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 no. Yeah. let's look at why you missed those sessions yeah first of all because if you missed them last week and you, your life is going to be the same as it was last week this coming week very fucking likely that you now trying to fit in five and a half sessions into a four session week when you definitely didn't do it the previous week is not going to work and and I think it's that same thing where people are like oh yeah no oh okay so just not worry you know because they think that you you know they're going to get in trouble or something if they haven't done the session it's like no well maybe you maybe you've got the capacity for you know three sessions. Let's roll with that. That's going to be effective. That's going to be the thing that you can consistently do. So let's do that. And it also takes some time as well, certainly from a programming side, you know, to sort of find out, yeah, what does work for people and for that to kind of settle in with their their life. And as you say, you know, when it comes to the nutrition piece, oh, they've got this on this weekend, they've got that on the next weekend, oh, and then they've got that happening. And people can be very sort of I don't want to say, uh, I suppose, yeah, short-sighted, short thinking in, you know, how the future can affect what their goals are, you know. So um, I just think it's really, really cool that you get them thinking about that from the get-go and then manage to spread the time out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think, so obviously it's slightly different when you're working with sort of athletes where you have very much like periodized nutrition you know you're eating in a certain way for a certain goal for a certain yeah. time, and then it switches but you know for most people who are yeah. um, sort of fit and healthy really what we're trying to do is set them up with an approach for life because you know anyone can do something yeah. for a period of time but then what you do when that time period comes up you haven't learned any habits that are going to maintain you where you are for the long mm. run so yeah so mm. it's almost I always say it's almost better the, the more like challenges and and sort of events you have in the first four weeks the better because then at least you learn how to deal with them for the long term.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what would you say so what because obviously as you said you know, you know health is the the one we're looking at first and foremost. So for those who are listening who, you know, aren't competitive and even for those who are listening who are competitive and and this is something that they that they miss. What do you recommend around just you know, general health in terms of nutrition?
1: Yeah. So, and obviously it differs slightly for everyone, but I think, you know, the key things you're you're looking for as principles are, are you eating enough calories for your body to do everything it needs to do? (laughs) Within that, are you getting a decent dose of protein? Because, that's a a building block that you know you can't make all of it from carbs and fats and things so you definitely need some protein in your diet Mm -hmm. and you do need carbs and fats as well but you know we we tend to focus on protein because it's something that people typically are more likely to not have enough of from a perspective and then finally are you eating fiber and are you eating vitamins and minerals Uh, you know the full spectrum of vitamins and minerals that's kind of the real basis for health now obviously what everyone needs yeah. in each of those categories is, is going to be slightly different but mm-hmm. and it's not always obvious whether you are eating kind of what you need for your health but indicators are you know if you ever have a blood test and you're low on something obviously that needs to be addressed for example like iron or deer or, yeah. or anything like that and you're mm-hmm. sick and injured all the time um because if you are something's not right yeah because something your immune system or something or your, your literal bodily structure may not be where it could be or where it should be mm,
0: of course and within that as well we can also then tie in the sleep piece and the hydration piece and yeah. you know all, all of those kind of you know foundational just the basics yeah. and
1: and no, no, I don't <laughs> either. Like, if you are not eating well, your sleep is is not likely to be as good. If you're not sleeping as well, your food choices are likely to be disrupted. So everything's totally interconnected. And the same with stress as yeah. well. So it's kind of, it's looking at all of them in concert, because they will all have a positive or negative effect on each other.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, one thing that I always, certainly in terms of, let's say, something like sleep, you know, often you'll hear kind of people say, oh, I get by on, you know, five, six hours a night and I'm fine. And I'm kind of like, you just don't know what it feels like to, to actually get more sleep than that. So, because as you said earlier, you know, our bodies are incredibly robust, but, you know, with something like like sleep, if you can't, you know, let's say if you if you are getting four or five hours a night, you know, which is certainly not enough, the recommended is between seven and nine for a regular you know, individual a non-competitive individual. Obviously athletes that then get to sleep a lot more depending on their level of competition or wherever they're at. But, you know, if you can't increase the quantity of it at, you know, immediately, then at least try and improve the quality of it, you know, if you can. And I, and I assume the same goes for foods as well, like trying to eat good quality food over processed, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like you're looking for, and obviously, again, it depends. There's no good and bad foods per se. There's more nutritious and less nutritious foods. But, you know, you really need to yeah. face yeah. more nutritious food to get everything you need in. And I always find it interesting with supplements, actually, because you often find that people, when they're on a diet, will have more protein supplements. And you're kind of like, this is literally the time mm. when you really shouldn't be having more of those because they're a convenient protein source, but they lack many of the benefits of whole food, like vitamins and minerals. And when you're mm. on calories, you kind of need to make optimize, yeah. you know, every calorie that you're getting. Whereas, you know, maybe if you're in a yeah. walking phase or or whatever, and you've got six million calories, then knock yourself out because you know if you try to eat that with cabbage anyway, you'd probably be sick quite quickly. You know, you're just not going to get that much food in. Yeah. You know. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So nutrient density all the way from a, a food perspective. And then so, again, just going back to the, so you spoke a little bit about body composition. Can you just talk a little bit as well on the performance side Ah, yes, as part of that triad?
1: Yeah, so the health, body composition and performance. So when we're thinking about fueling to perform to your best, that will... A lot of the time, and, and particularly in sort of more general strength and power sports, which aren't aren't weight class based, the health and performance will will often tie in together because the whole point is that you're fueling your body to be as well fueled and recovered as it can be, which obviously then ties into being sort of a relatively healthy. The trade off m- more often comes potentially in performance and body composition. So again, it kind of goes back to to what we said before, where if you're trying to cut a lot of weight, your performance is at higher risk of being compromised, um, particularly mm. progression in performance. Because again, performance and at least sort of improvements in training depends on your body having the fuel and building blocks to recover and regenerate. And mm. if you are in a really taxing sport. Say if you are, for example, doing CrossFit, just because that one that's one mm-hmm. that combines a lot of like, metabolic output so a lot of energy plus you're trying to be strong as well that's a lot of strength Mm. on the body and if you're then also trying to cut weight at the same time you're trying to improve everything within your CrossFit performance you're probably going to come to a wall at some point in time and particularly Mm. the more advanced you are the sooner that wall will come (laughs) because again it goes back you haven't got those beginner gains or or whatever to come against the health and performance aspect is an interesting trade-off and that comes from There are obviously various elements it can come into, but the two most obvious in some ways are possibly, first of all, if you're in a sport where you are likely to do a weight cut. So, a weight cut is a sort of short and rapid descent in weight to hit a certain weight class for a competition. So, this might be in combat sports or in sort of powerlifting and Olympic lifting. And there, Mm -hmm. if you're on a very aggressive diet or you're potentially dehydrating yourself, you are potentially compromising your short term health. And some oh. ultra-endurance events, you may be able to be a lot faster if you were a lot lighter. But again, being that light for an extended period of time, you are potentially subject to that low energy availability that we spoke about before, which obviously has potential health
0: mm. impacts.
1: Now, all of this can be managed mm. in the context of long-term health, because it's just a case of understanding the period points in time where your health might have a short-term, potential short-term impact, and then thinking okay well what can I do in the off season or afterwards that brings me back to where I want to be yeah so that's really sort of from the food perspective but obviously then also you know if you're pounding yourself in training every day you have got higher risk of your health being compromised like we know that a lot of intense activity appears to suppress or appears to give athletes sort of a reduced immune tolerance so potentially more susceptibility Mm. to to succumb to infections and stuff in the short term and they're obviously nutritional things you can do to reduce that as far as possible, but, but there's always going to be that trade-off there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what are the sorts of things you can do? And I guess I know it's, it's individual dependent as well, but what are the sorts of things you can do to reduce that trade-off?
1: So from a, if we're looking at it around the sort of the weight and performance or the, and health, then it's, you know, if you've got a period where you are having sort of too few calories, you want to try and follow that with a period where you have enough calories. So you don't want to be yeah. really keeping yourself at that, you know, depleted state for an extended period of time mm-hmm. for like you know, months and months on end. You want to be breaking that mm-hmm. up periods where you're really giving your body enough of what it needs to recover. So higher calories yeah. and so on. And again, it comes down to the basic food choices. So body weight is always going to be primarily driven by calories in calories out so then to uh, mm-hmm. optimize your health within that you're looking for okay well what is in those calories so it goes down to like you say yeah. cho- the nutrient density of your food so choosing a range of foods that's going to make sure you get all the key vitamins and minerals in particular the ones you might be more susceptible of being deficient in so you know as a general rule as an athlete you might have higher risk of being iron deficient because you are sweating out iron and you've got higher blood volumes you've got a greater need for iron so yeah yeah so, so you need to have a particular focus on things like that or or you're female so and you know you're you're in an age where you're menstruating you're losing some every month so again it has to be a higher focus things like calcium for bones and and so it's being conscious of where you may have shortfalls and really focusing on that in your diet. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah so so important and it's just such like it's so important for athletes to know and understand that and to be able to yeah I guess look after themselves fully because I suppose the focus can often be on that competition or whatever but actually you know much like recovery that downtime is the thing that's going to keep you in good health for the longer term. So, um, yeah, so, so interesting. And I, yeah, again, I just love that you do talk about the trade-off and um, because there absolutely is one, which is absolutely fine, but it's just important to understand that and to do everything that you can to still maintain that health piece as much as you can within the confines of, of then the, the performance trade-off or the body composition trade-off.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's a case of understanding that no trade-off is necessarily forever. It's about, you know, what that trade-off is now and then how you may reverse that in the future should you want to or need to.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's that trade-off in the moment, isn't it? Yeah. But not forever. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. So that moves us on to intermittent fasting.
1: Ah, yes. Yeah. (laughs) So... Gosh, even where to start on this one? So, I um, know how long have we got? Yeah, (laughs) pretty start by explaining what it is. So, intermittent fasting, as we kind of describe it in um, common usage, people are really referring to time restricted feeding. So, it's the idea that you are restricting the hours in the day that you eat food. So, people, Mm -hmm. the most common one that people do tends to be. 8, 16. So people will eat for within an eight hour window. So I know like 1 till 9pm or 12 till 8pm and then fast for the other 16 hours. And it kind of goes in cycles as to how popular it is, or at least Mm -hmm. how much it seems to spring up on my Instagram feed and in conversations that I have with people. But it's definitely something that is rearing its head again at the moment. And it's a really interesting one. So I think historically people have Done intermittent fasting or or the perception of intermittent fasting was that it may be superior for weight loss. And I guess the short answer is Mm -hmm. that's not been proven to be the case. Really, the benefits or people found that it was superior for weight loss simply because, not because one calorie was different when you only ate it in an eight-hour window versus sort of across the whole day, but it was simply that some people found that by restricting the number of hours they ate they took in less calories so it's not superior for weight loss on a like-for-like basis on a calorie-matched diet Mm -hmm. and a calorie-matched diet in sedentary populations it's the same as whether you spread those calories across the whole day or restrict it and Mm -hmm. and really so and that was probably the point when that sort of View was aired in terms of it being superior for weight loss. That was probably when it got popular, sort of in the public um, and particularly in athletic populations as well, because people are often looking to um, lose some weight. And yeah. it took a very long time before anyone actually studied it in active populations. And in, in people who trained. And that is really important because metabolically, sedentary people and athletes are different. They're different in how their body needs to use energy and what it needs to recover as well. So the question then became well, can you do intermittent fasting? And does it have an impact on sports performance? And I guess the short answer is we still don't have enough information to really tell. Um, there haven't mm-hmm. been enough studies and there certainly haven't been enough long-term studies. Mm-hmm. There's uh, there's really, so there have been some studies looking at sports performance around Ramadan, but that's actually different to intermittent fasting per se, because you're yeah. eating at night and that does have an yeah. impact. There is such a thing as as nutrition, So it's the impact of timing on, on how you metabolize things. And that's, again, it's a growing field, but also they can't drink mm-hmm. water through the day. So mm-hmm. that's got a separate impact on things like aerobic capacity, because if you're not drinking water and you're dehydrated, you've got less blood volume. And if you've got less blood volume, you probably aren't going to perform as well because you can't pump oxygen around your body as well. So that's slightly different. But so more recently, people have looked particularly in resistance trained individuals, and I think the background to this is we might expect that you would not have as superior results from resistance training if you intermittent fast in general, because what we've understood or believe we've understood for quite a long period of time is that to optimize muscle strength and growth in response to training, you want to eat high doses of protein regularly through the day because protein can't be stored in the body, you use it or lose it. So therefore you yeah. need to eat it regularly in order to get optimal results. Mm-hmm. So the sort of on principle you'd think, hmm, intermittent fasting might not get as big and strong. And similarly from a carbohydrate perspective, you can only, and this is more on the endurance sports side, you can only refuel your body with carbohydrates at a certain rate. So, again, if you're having large windows where you're not refueling your body with carbohydrates, by the time you get to the end of a training week, you're probably going to struggle. And we know, again, that if you do really deplete your carbohydrate stores and don't refuel them effectively, you do do that. And so, you know, if you're making it harder for yourself by only eating in a restricted time window, we might predict that it would become an issue. And I think first Mm. and foremost, there haven't really been extensive studies in people who are really sort of endurancey in sports. And the reason for that is I think there are probably going to be very few people willing to try it because I think there's so much evidence that it would be really challenging. And I think anyone who does that kind of sport and knows when they go out without food for a long time, they're probably going to feel pretty rough in training the next day. And we've got that various other other pieces as well. The interesting one Mm. is probably resistance training. So... There have been studies, but there have only been short-term studies of like four to eight weeks that have really looked in previously trained individuals. So this is different to people who've never trained before, and then they put them in a study and start them resistance training. So people Mm -hmm. who've always lifted weight, if they intermittent fast versus not, is there an impact on strength? And the short answer is, in short term, there doesn't appear to be an impact on strength or muscle mass. But I think on the I'd also say I wouldn't necessarily expect there to be in these studies because, A, they're really short. And, again, if you're already Mm. experienced, it does take time to kind of lose muscle and things like that. And also, if we actually look at the studies, there are quite a lot of other factors in there that could be explaining why there aren't differences. So it's that situation where lots of things play into how you perform, so like your strength or your muscle. Mm. And, again, how much sort of excess fat and energy you had what stress you've got, what your diet was like before the study versus coming into the study because, you know, say if you had a really really sort of what we would call a poor diet before and then you come into the study and your diet's a lot better, well, you're probably going to improve whether you're intermittent fasting or not because it's a bigger factor. Yeah, Um, Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so I think really (laughs) where we're at is to say we don't really know very much at all, (laughs) but I actually think that's valuable because I think it's worth understanding that – from a weight loss perspective, it's certainly not superior. For at least in sedentary population and mm. in active populations, mm. really athletic populations, we just don't have an understanding. Um, you know, from a personal perspective, I don't typically recommend it to most of my athletes because of the nature of their training. Again, it, it's just something where I think they're putting another stress on their body. But reciprocally, I know there are Um, many high-level athletes in certain sports who do do it and are very successful with it. Now, whether they're successful despite it or whether it is actually – advantageous to them in some way be it psychological be it the fact that actually it means that they are focusing on their nutrition so in that eight hour window they're eating more nutritiously than they otherwise would we just don't know but I think it's yeah I think it's definitely an area that people need to 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 watch out for what comes in the future because certainly um, there is no black and white argument right now.
0: Yeah no no that's so interesting because yeah for I feel like yeah, for ages, it was really popular. And I remember, you know, a few female athletes that I knew doing it. And I was like, oh, shit, what's that going to mean for your hormones? You know, but you don't get involved because it's not your business. Yeah. But also, I, and I guess, you know, as you say, like this idea of if that's a way of managing your calories in that certain time, fine. But actually, you don't need to do it if you're eating, you know, what did you call it, calorie, was it calorie matched, you said?
1: Uh, yeah, calorie matched, yeah. So whether you're doing, you're eating yeah. continuously or time restricted, if you're calorie matched, we don't think there is any difference.
0: Yeah. And so the only benefit I can see then is that it's it's a way of controlling just yet another variable, should you be that way inclined. But yeah, really, really interesting to, I guess, you know, hear the latest research. And, you know, again, as you say, those studies were just too short of a time period to really give anything, you know, substantial in terms of, of you know, saying it, it works or it doesn't because you know, it, muscle building takes a while, yeah, as does muscle loss. So you know, longer than the study really for yeah. you yeah. know yeah. trained yeah. individuals, not necessarily for the you know for the newbies
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah newbies you will often see results within eight weeks but experienced lifters it, it's harder to see and especially it's harder to see when you've got other noise in there as well because you've got other things changing like i said like their diet during the study was different to their diet before the study and that could have an impact you know their training yeah. is different that can have an impact so all these factors play in mm,
0: yeah And the one thing I ever sort of, you know, heard around intermittent fasting or the thing that made most sense to me was with um, a friend of mine, uh, Karis Marsden. She also works in nutrition as well. And um, she was talking around the idea of absolutely having a sort of three to four hour window in between meals. Yeah. So that, you know, your body can get on and do the rest of the things that it has to do, so she gave a really good analogy of it. It would be like getting um shopping delivered to your door by whoever, Sainsbury's, Tesco, or, or whatever. And you're going to pack it away. But then 30 minutes later, another delivery yeah. comes along and then it keeps coming along. And so you never get your shopping put away. And so you can't do the rest of the house or the rest of the, any of the stuff that you need to get on with. And so I really liked that idea of having a, you know, three to four hour window, which is obviously not intermittent fasting, but the bigger conversation around that was, you know, if you were to have a window for that to be twelve hours and not this kind of eight sixteen, which is which doesn't then feel like anything, but still makes enough of a of a difference to actually, you know, maybe not eat so close to bed or or whatever if you're if you're still thinking about eating within this certain window. Because I know for me if I eat too late at night then then I don't sleep as well as I would eating a little earlier. And for the whole digestion piece to happen so my body's a little bit less busy you know, when I'm trying to get to sleep. So and that really was the only kind of conversation in and around fasting that made sense to me, which, you know, again, 12 hours doesn't really, you know, 12 and 12 doesn't really seem then as aggressive as 816. But also, as a woman, just the idea of fasting and just the implications of that hormonally, I just never wanted to go near the any kind of smaller windows just because I think you just really start messing around yeah and with other stuff as well
1: yeah and that's definitely something to highlight because a lot the 816 was only ever developed in men and there is emerging research around like we know there are different hormonal responses um so Mm -hmm. it's definitely like that is definitely something to, to be mindful of and as I say like yeah it then becomes another stress on the body and then when you're athletic as well And it is worth noting, actually, that of the studies done, even in athletic populations, there has been one done on female athletes. But again, it was only eight weeks. And it wasn't really looking at any of the hormonal profiles from that sort of the physiological hormonal profile sort of perspective. So yeah, exactly. It's just an it's an unknown field.
0: (laughs) Yeah, 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 absolutely. So and like I said, like there were uh, you know quite a few female athletes are i feel great i feel amazing i feel and i was like oh no when's the crash going to come <laughs> it's like you know you don't want it to happen but you sort of know that it may and it's it's like all of these things you know like intermittent fasting kind of lots of high intensity interval training like it's sold as the thing that's going to lose weight quickly because fundamentally that's what a lot of people Want to do, yeah, and they have absolutely every right to want to do that if they want to do that for themselves and all the rest of it. Like, you know, I don't want to get into conversations around whether people should or shouldn't or whatever. If you want to lose weight for yourself because you feel like you are carrying some excess weight knock yourself out, go and do it. Yeah. But do it in a way that is healthy for you to do. And You know, we could go down a million different avenues just with that train of thought. But but then things like hit and, you know, intermittent fasting become really attractive because they're like, oh, this is the fast track to get there. And this is the quick way to do it. And the quick way is not always the best way.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those where, yeah, 100% that. And you just there's so much misconception around it still that it's just yeah
0: Mm. challenging yeah and as you say there's just not enough information about it and even the studies that would have been useful were too short or the variables were too varied and then so really this what do we do with that there's not much to to do with it and of course then there's just the you know age old well how about you try and maybe get a little bit better asleep than you're getting whether that's in quality or hours knock yourself out one of the two and then maybe drink a little bit more water and maybe that'll make you pee more but shit it's I'm not getting you to drink petrol just drink a bit more water awesome cool and then let's just try and up that nutrient density if we can let's just see how that works for i don't know let's go 8 12 weeks let's okay. see how we go but it's often bypassed for something sexier yeah. something more exciting something you know give me that good stuff quicker and yeah it's um, well you know this I'm I'm, <laughs> no, I I'm it's
1: to that it's like, it's like kind of like it's there's usually very little point in doing the advanced stuff if you haven't got the basics right yeah because it's going to be a sticking point yeah. on something that needs stitches and it's the same same as with supplements like nine i would say not even 9 times out of 10 99 times out of 100 if your diet mm. is shocking you would be much mm do much better by fixing that than i don't know having a dose of caffeine and going for a sprint you know like uh, it's like well maybe yeah. some carbs and actual fuel in you first or you know the night day before and yeah. then go for a run and yeah. i guarantee you yeah exactly faster.
0: <laughs> absolutely and carbs aren't bad and fat isn't bad you know we'll keep singing it Sinead it's fine <laughs> one day they'll go oh right okay <laughs> okay 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 like it reminds me of um, uh, that like Emma Hackett is um
1: <laughs> sorry Oh, I so said it's why all my clients hate me, because the minute someone uses the word good or bad, I've become really annoying and go, It's not good, it's not bad. Do you want to rephrase that?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But it's also reminds me of a friend of mine, she's a mental performance coach, Emma Hackett. And yes. she just talks about how ingrained thoughts can be. So I'm gonna do this test on you now that that okay. Emma does on everyone. So I want yeah. you to finish this sentence, okay? Mary had a little Um, (laughs) Mary had a little cat
1: oh it's so funny yeah it's like oh god no you just automatically think it through And,
0: and exactly and you know I didn't say oh it this is a nursery rhyme or whatever and you think how many years ago you learned that and you probably haven't thought about it in god knows like, how many years yeah. but yet your mind still and that's how i feel about bloody low fat yeah. and low carb and all of that crap that's like no 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 just listen it's okay it's fine eat <laughs> it please eat it, <laughs> <laughs> it cuz i'm going to tell you to eat more and to train less and you're not going to get that until you do it and then you feel better and you're like oh shit yeah
1: you were right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. It does also always amaze me, actually, when people do trust the pro. Like, they're scared of it, but will still do it. Like, you know, clients amaze me on a daily yeah. basis where you know they're doing something which to them initially feels fundamentally wrong, like, you know, eat more. they're like, but no, I I trust Mm. what you're saying. I will do it. And I I don't know, that also amazes me because I'm like, you've got a lot of faith in the process, which is awesome. And you're willing to jump into something that terrifies you.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's always just so welcome, isn't it? Where people are like, you know, if someone comes, they're like, I want to do this. I don't have a, a certain timeline on it. I want to just start building these habits into my life. You're like, yes, yeah, yes. It's a person who sits down and that like, right, God, three weeks, go. It's like, oh, Beck. <laughs> <laughs> and it's doable sometimes. You know, you're like, okay, do not tell anyone, right, go. <laughs> but, um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but Sinead, as ever, I love, you make this all so simple
1: oh, and yeah. make sense.
0: And I love that because I think that, Nutrition is one of those topics that can be really complicated. And for most people, it doesn't need to be, you know, that way outside of any kind of, you know, underlying health issues or or whatever. But you really, really simplify it and you really, really make it make sense. And I just always appreciate that so much because I, I think that, you know, most people listening to this will be like, okay, all right, yeah. I've got that. I'm going to do that. And so it gives people the tools to go, uh, go away and go, actually, I, I can do this myself. And it's not that it's not that complicated. I need to make these, you know, simple decisions. But should they want to find you, Sinead, <laughs> which I would highly recommend? <laughs> Where can they find you?
1: Yes. So the easiest way to find me is probably on Instagram. So I'm uh, Sinead.feedfuelperform or on my website, which is feedfuelperform.com. So yeah, there's blogs and recipes and whatnot on there.
0: Amazing. Perfect. Perfect. What are you excited about for. No, you're fine. What are you excited <laughs> about for the future in terms of nutrition, even in terms of your own work?
1: So nutrition. There is so much. I think for me, what I'm really interested in seeing is understanding more in kind of what we call mixed modal sports. So things that have strength and conditioning in them. So like CrossFit and and many combat sports is we don't really have a lot of understanding about the exercise physiology of different athletes and how that impacts their performance and nutritional needs. So it's a real geeky bit that I'm really Mm -hmm. excited about. And then... Yeah, um,
0: sounds great.
1: Yeah, and yeah, and, and I think building on that for me, I'm hoping, uh, you know, end of the year in 2021, just getting to work with some uh, fun new clients.
0: Yeah, amazing, amazing, amazing. Well, I think basically everyone needs you, Sinead. I need you. I'm, I probably need to beat you up myself, actually. It's been a while. I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, like, yeah, okay. But. Um, <laughs> well thank you so so much such a dream as ever Um, i hope to see you and speak to you again very soon yes and you thank you for having me thanks so much love bye-bye bye-bye